Hola, welcome to season three of More Than Rice and Beans, the mother-son podcast where we introduce you to our favorite Latinx creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. I'm Miguel, a mechanical engineer PhD student at Johns Hopkins University, funded by a NASA fellowship. And I'm his mom, Tanya. I'm a chef, educator, and proud New Yorican. This season on More Than Rice and Beans, we've got, well, a lot more for you. More amazing guests, more ridiculous sidebar conversations, and more meaningful discussions on what it's like to navigate this world as a Latinx person. We're so excited you're joining us for this incredible season, along with our all-star lineup of guests. Get ready, because this time, it's way more than rice and beans. Welcome back to More Than Rice and Beans. It's been a crazy season, and we have another great interview today with not one, but two guests. That's right. These two guys have been such huge supporters of Coqui the Chef, all the way back to our puppetry days when they made sofrito dip with Coqui. Anthony and Paul Ramirez are the brothers behind multiple successful businesses, including the Bronx Beer Hall, From the Bronx, Taste of the Bronx, and Mainland Media. And if you haven't guessed by the amount of times that my mom just said Bronx, the Ramirez brothers are proud Bronx natives, and we are so excited to have them here today. So welcome, Paul and Anthony. Hi, thank you for having us. I am Anthony Ramirez. And I'm Paul Ramirez. And we're excited to be here today. We're excited to have you. <laughs> you both have been around since the early days of Coqui the Chef and have been so supportive of me and my endeavors. How did you end up going into business together? Wow, there's a lot of question for the first one. Loaded. <laughs> uh, I'll start out and then, you know, we'll just bounce back and forth. Is that cool? Yeah. So uh, yep. we started Mainland Media first in 2006 with a mission to help improve the image of the Bronx. So we're both born and raised in the Bronx, proud Bronxites. And we realized that anytime we would go to events or went away to school or went on vacation and told people where we were from, we usually got a pretty negative response, right? Like, uh, oh my God, how many times have you been mugged? Um, you know, do you have running water over there, et yeah. cetera? How much do you sell drugs for? Right. Wow. So, um, <laughs> things that we realized, you know, stemmed from the 70s and the 80s and, you know, the Bronx is burning and the crack epidemic and, you know, all, all of that stuff. And so um, that really had lingered in people's minds. And we realized that, you know, we, we had to put some work in to help change that narrative. So we were working uh, in the South Bronx at a nonprofit with youth, age, high school age youth, age 13 to 24, I believe. And another thing is, you know, we were trying to decorate the room with positive Bronx themed merchandise. And Nothing existed except for a Bronx Zoo poster. Um, Yankees. Yankees, Rumble in the Bronx with Jackie Chan, which was filmed in Vancouver, I think, or Toronto, one of those. It wasn't in the Bronx. <laughs> that's a fact. Um, so we decided to make our own. And that's how, that's how our, all of our companies uh, started back in 2006. And we called it Mainland Media because the Bronx is the only borough on the mainland. Everything else is an island. Which is actually a Jeopardy question yesterday. Yeah, so it's that prevalent. We're the only one that's not an island. That's New Jeopardy, right? Yeah, New Jeopardy. <laughs> oh. Jeopardy. Yeah. So, um, yes, and when the floods come, we'll have waterfront property, right? Climate change is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> People will be swimming for the Bronx, uh, you know, when Brooklyn, Manhattan, 
Queens and Staten Island are underwater. So anyway, so that that mainland media was how we started. Uh, mainland media gave way to From the Bronx. Uh, From the Bronx is our online retail shop where we uh, work on what we create and design positive Bronx theme merchandise. Um, and we've, we've been doing that again since 2006 and it has, um, been really, really kind of awesome, successful ride. And in order to promote that, since we don't have a physical location, we've been pop-up shops in culturally significant locations throughout the Bronx. One, which ended up being in the little Italy section of the Bronx, um, 10 or 11 years ago. Actually, I think 12 years ago, right? No. Um, what year are we in right now? I don't yeah. know, man. You're old. So it was December. <laughs> it was 11 years ago, December of 2011. And then we, uh, yeah, right? Something like that. Doesn't matter. About a decade. <laughs> uh, oh, you're mad. about the beer hogs. I've been talking for a minute. Well, I, th- I think, you know, I think. We can go through our whole history or we could talk about how we ended up working together or, or I, I mean, which way do you want to go? Do you want us to give you the whole, the whole, the whole spiel well, first? The big question is, do you guys get along? Yeah, clearly. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> I mean, I've known this guy for 41 years. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you make it work. We get, um, we get along? I had no idea. And I think, you know, <laughs> um, so the beer hall. So we, we hosted a pop-up shop in December of 2011 inside of the Arthur Avenue <laughs> retail market, Arthur Avenue um, and Little Italy being the number two tourist destination in the borough. Uh, we saw the big value in really just showcasing our brand um, and, you know, kind of reintroducing our Bronxites to Arthur Avenue while also... Um, you know, introducing people to Bronx culture as it stood today. You know, people that were willing at the time, we realized if the people were willing to go to Yankee Stadium, to the Bronx Zoo, to Little Italy, then how come they weren't willing to explore more of what the Bronx had to offer? You know, hip hop, uh, international phenomenon, billion dollar industry. So we said, hey, we're going to be um, Arthur Avenue a month long, you know, uh, high tourist season, but also high traffic because of the holidays. And through that time, we not only featured our own merchandise, but we featured merchandise of other up-and-coming Bronx companies from various photographers like Joe Conzo and Ricky Flores to the Jonas Bronx Beer Company, which is now defunct, but um, was uh, really one of the first, right? The first yeah, beer company first since, beer since Prohibition to exist within our borough. You know, we really wanted to just kind of highlight the new things that were coming out of the Bronx. Um and that's it. Long story short, uh, we were drinking the beer one day and we were at our own pop-up shop 10 or 11 years ago, depending on whose memory is correct. Right. <laughs> and, um, and we said, hey, you know, it'd be a great idea. We should really open a beer hall. Right. And then when we sobered up the next day, we said, hey, you know what? That's actually still a good idea because not all the drinking ideas are good ones. Right. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people, a lot of drunk people want to open up a bar. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let me tell you something. It's a lot of work, people. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know how many how many of our uncles were like, oh, yeah, we gave you that idea. It's like, no, 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 no. You, you <laughs> thought it a good idea to open a bar when you were drunk one day. That doesn't mean that you gave us any idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I have an uncle who says he invented the VCR, too, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> like, I wish I could watch your show when I want to. And I was like, that does not count as an invention. <laughs> but um, anyway, so uh, we, we at the end of that market, they asked us, what would you do if you could stay here? We said, hey, we'd open a beer hall. Beer halls are inherently communal spaces. They're meant to get people together and to engage and to have, you know, and to learn more about your community. And here we are nine years later with a beer hall. 
Nine years. That's that number's correct because I know we opened in 2013 for sure. Nine and a, <laughs> nine and a half years to do nine that. Nine and a half years. Taste of the Bronx. As Bronx entrepreneurs, we know how hard it is to run your business, but also to reach your audience and get the word out about what you're doing and connect with people. And um, that's why we started Taste of the Bronx. We partnered with uh, Sustainable Snacks, which is a local Bronx business, to host monthly pop-up shops and quarterly subscription box that really celebrates and features Bronx business, Bronx-based businesses. The end. Mainland Media still does consulting with, you know, right. everyone in so, every single sector. So not entirely the end. No, uh, you know, nothing's ever the end. It's clearly ongoing forever and ever and ever. Right. And feel free to <laughs> edit that down because that was a lot. Okay. <laughs> so um, which of your... working together. Yes. Out of all your companies, there's about, let's say, one, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. Which one is the most rewarding? <laughs> it's like picking on you. Which one is your favorite baby? Exactly, exactly. Which is really difficult. Yeah. Uh, when you say rewarding, do you mean like piles of cash, or do you mean? Like- <laughs> well, that depends, right? What's most yeah. rewarding to us? Exactly. Um, what brings you wealth, health, and happiness? Well, wow. I think- I'll let Paul go. What's most rewarding for you, Paul? I mean, I, I think <laughs> I definitely think that like you realize how much goes into um, running a business, especially in a day-to-day. And when you have a brick and mortar location, you realize like how much of your time is spent within that space or how much of that space can actually consume you. So I think the real value comes from things like Taste of the Bronx and Mainland Media, where it's like the value of your input and what you do every day, you know, and like how you, how you can, um, help other businesses grow and how you can use your experiences. But if it weren't for the beer hall and it weren't, it wasn't for, um, you know, our life with from the Bronx, I think that, uh, you know, you wouldn't be able to inform those other things. So I think mm-hmm. they're all fulfilling in different ways, right? Like you, people are yeah. like, Oh, do you regret this? Do you regret that? And it's like, no, you can't regret anything because an experience is experience. Right. And if you're learning from it, then um, how can you say, Oh, well this, isn't something I want, you know, like that's something that informed who you are today and how, how you've grown. So I think they're all rewarding, you know, and I think that's a great question, a great answer and a total cop out. It's like when I ask my mom, who's your favorite? (laughs) It's the politician's answer. Things about all of you, right? I don't think it's a a cop out because, you know, the high visibility of the Bronx Beer Hall being within that space allows us to meet all kinds of people. Um, It allows us to kind of be exposed to all kinds of things. um, And then it informs everything else that we do. Right. And if we weren't there in the thick of it, in the middle of the Bronx, you know, meeting all kinds of different Bronx sites, then we wouldn't be able to say how to, you know, market to a Bronx site, how to, you know, what's what's a rising trend amongst Bronx sites and like what's going to be a cool garment or T-shirt or product to come out from from the Bronx, you know, and and, and what's a new business. Right. Because it would taste in the Bronx and with the high visibility of the Bronx Beer Hall, that's how we met up and coming Bronx businesses. That's how more people would come to us and say, hey, do you can you, you know, and start really putting questions to us. So it sounds like you're saying the Bronx Beer Hall. Is it? Right? Yeah. Anyone else think so? What do you think uh, he's yeah. saying? Yeah. yeah. He's saying it, it, it without it saying it. opened the doors for you. The Bronx uh-huh. Beer Hall really <laughs> opened the doors for you, picked on your brains, and made you who you are now. Yeah. Okay. And he's saying it without saying it. See that? Sure. Sure. Just but like I, how my mom says, a, I'm the I favorite without saying it. <laughs> 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 I love them all. 
I, I have a different answer for that question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. so the question was, which is your favorite, right? Or what's the most rewarding? Yes. Um, so I'll, I, I will, I'm not going to say I have a favorite because it's, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to go through the whole cop out thing. It's going <laughs> to do the same thing. My, but what I find the most rewarding is the connections and the people we meet through all the businesses that we do. And that's all of them, right? We meet different people in different ways. Um, you know, we meet people. I've gotten, I've been messaging with someone living in Australia who's ordered stuff from, from the Bronx and they're just so, you know, former, um, sorry, always a Bronx site because they were born and raised here, but you know, um, now live in Australia and they were just so excited to find a site, find our merchandise. And I think once a week she'll send me a photo of morning or evening in Australia saying Mm -hmm. like, this is beautiful, but I still miss the Bronx. Right. And that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, at the beer hall, I've seen a 65-year-old guy on a date in a full white linen suit get up and do karaoke and impress the hell out of his date and me, for the record. <laughs> and, yeah, and, that sounds impressive. Yeah, and like, you see that, like, the crowd went wild for him. The date, I mean, I, she had, like, a heart shooting out of her eyes, you know, and that was awesome, right? And you can't, like you know, whatever news story, whatever, you know, press and all that doesn't ever equate to like that personal connection and and the way you um, connect with your fellow, uh, with your people in your community. And so I thought that, you know, that's an example of that, right? Taste of the Bronx, I've seen um, customers engage with new businesses and become lifelong fans and like, you know, just thank us for either introducing them to the new business and then business owners thanking us for, you know, giving them the platform to meet new people. And then mainland media, you know, we are very picky about um, who we work with. We don't just work with anyone. Like if you come in here and say, hey, I want to market, um, you know, 100% high fructose corn syrup sodas to, you know, 12 year olds. Hey, we're not going to work with you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if someone comes and they really have something that we think is uh uh, you know, with the best intentions and, and, and can help improve and have a positive impact on our community, then we're happy to work with them and see that come to fruition. So for me, it's the people, it's the community. It doesn't matter what business it is. And I tell Paul this all the time, like all these businesses can, we can end them all tomorrow and the connections and the things that we do will live on and the people that we have met and, you know, have had positive relationships with will continue until we die. Right. Hundred percent. Hopefully, thousand years from now. Figure that out, Miguel. I want a thousand years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah Miguel, now. you do the math. Yeah, I want to die on Mars. Is that going to happen? Are we going? Is, are we going to Mars at some point? Probably not until after twenty thirty. So it's going to be a while. Okay, so hey, hey, I'll be alive. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be fifty, but he'll be alive. Hey, that's not. That's not I don't know when it's getting released. That's not put my my age out there, right? <laughs> so, do you guys find yourselves to be social entrepreneurs? Yes. Yeah. I think the answer is yes. That's a right. That's a thing that didn't exist um, when we started this. Mm -hmm. And uh, as our businesses evolved, um, obviously the whole social entrepreneur, social media, and like just the way people, you know, created businesses locally um, evolved as well. And then we sat in a panel one day and they were like, oh, this is a social entrepreneur panel. And we're like, well, that's what we are. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. Thanks for the label, guys. We appreciate it. I know when we started too, when, I, when we would tell people the mission is to help improve the image of the Bronx, they were like, oh, so you're a nonprofit. And we're right. like, no, 
why would we be a nonprofit? And they're like, uh, I don't understand how you're going to make money with that mission, you know? Right. Um, and ha ha, <laughs> you figured it out. So. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, when I first started with Cookie the Chef, nobody understood. And when the social entrepreneurship, the terminology of it started coming about, people started having a better understanding. Right. Uh, one of the things that I found myself always struggling with is just explaining what we were doing. We were community first and then profit second. That's what on social entrepreneurship means. Yep. And people don't get that. Oh, it's got to be nonprofit if you have a mission. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's what we are here for to do to, to make a change in our community, in the Bronx, or how passionate we are with the Bronx. And this is what we do. And yeah. yes, we're making profits off of it. We're not, you know. We right. we want to we want to own our stuff. We want to own our brand. We don't want to be a nonprofit and give it to the government. You know, right. we want to own it. So I have a question for you. Am I allowed to ask questions to the interviewer? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and so I guess the question is: Now that so we were we I'll say we both were around when before social entrepreneurship was like the buzzword and the thing, you know, it was like you said, community first, profit second, right? Mm -hmm. And now you see, especially with like all these social justice movements, you know, and, and the rise of social media and people being more and more active, sort of like armchair social media, social justice warriors, right? You see a lot of performative stuff, right? You see like Nike, well, I'm, I'm using Nike as an example, I don't know if they do this, but it's the first I'm staring at a pair of sneakers. So, and other like big brands, like let's say Apple and things like that, who are um, promoting social equality and all of those things through like, you know, black squares for black life for black lives matter or rainbows for pride, you know, but they've always been profit first community second, right? Yeah. Do you feel that, and I guess the question is, is that performative? Do you feel as a social entrepreneur, because, you know, when people have the money, when you're a corporation, a billion dollar corporation, it's their reach far exceeds the reach of small grassroots businesses like ours. Right. Right. How does, how does that make you feel? As someone who was a social entrepreneur a decade ago, right? More than a decade ago, because we haven't figured out our timelines, right? <laughs> and to see what corporations are doing now, does it make you feel some kind of way? That's my question to you. Yeah, I, it makes me angry. It makes me angry because I'm like, I, I, did this, I did this with a good intention. Now you're coming into my space and taking over. You know, what your intention is, is a little too late. Mm -hmm. you know, or maybe it's not too late, but I feel like it's too late because you're stepping over us now. So right. yeah, yeah, I do get angry. It yeah, gets me like, angry. Like it's, it's kind of bandwagon, right? Like you're mm -hmm. like, it might be too late, but like now you're like, oh, well, we're inclusive of everybody. And like, that's where it's like, well, you're really just kind of jumping on a trend or, or you're, you know, you're maybe you're starting a trend. Maybe you're the one like, oh, let's add a rainbow here because yeah. we want to represent this. And yeah, you can definitely tell it's performative based off of when they do try to do something and then like there's usually uh, like at least some backlash about something that they're doing and then they immediately switch it. So it's like they don't have a mission. They don't have an opinion. They don't they're just trying to follow what everyone tells them to do. So that's how you could definitely tell that it's performative. Absolutely. So you're angry, too. I like to hear that. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely right. It's it's not authentic, right? I think that that's no. yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not authentic. Like where we I, I know I changed my business around a little bit from Cookie to Chef from the time that we had mascots and puppeteers to now that we're giving cooking classes. But our cooking classes are about cultural appreciation because there's so much cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. And we want the people to know, hey, you know, Puerto Ricans are this way and we love all this wonderful stuff. Come and share it with us and come and learn. So one really cool thing about Bronx Beer Hall is that uh, every time you walk in, you're going to end up seeing a lot of different things. So how do you um, how do you decide on what products to feature? And uh, you talked a bit about this, but like, do you have an actual uh, do you have any kind of process to decide on what products to feature, um, how to look for different products? And then do you ever have a shortage on local brews to choose from? When we first started, there were only about 42 New York State breweries. And um, we came out with the mission that we were going to really feature local because we wanted to make the Bronx Beer Hall a destination location. We wanted it to be a space um, on Arthur Avenue, a space in the Bronx itself where you can get things that you probably normally wouldn't get anywhere else. And you get it all in one location. When we say um, local, we mean New York State. Right. We mean New York, within New York. So yeah. um, not only, uh, you know, obviously our Bronx merchandise and, and maybe, you know, the the merchandise of others, but the beers from within New York State. And only 42 breweries, nine, how many years ago? Nine, nine and a half years ago, right? And <laughs> now there are 490 plus breweries in New York State. So we started out really at the beginning of the wave. And like, you know, you realize you make, you make strong relationships and, and you kind of rotate through different brands and you bring, you bring in their seasonal items. You, you find some of their year round stuff that you, that you fall in love with and your clientele falls in love with. But, um, that market just kept expanding. So while at and first. And I, I want to just jump in yeah. and say that again, because we always said community first, profit second, it's more expensive to do that, right? Like we started and, yeah. you know, Budweiser and and Sam and all these places were like, you know, pennies on the dollar to buy that beer. And, you know, the profit margins are huge. And we kind of did it a little backwards where everyone was like, hey, you know how much money you can make selling Budweiser, how much money you can make selling Coors Light? And that wasn't the mission. The mission was to, you know, celebrate local and celebrate community. So, um, th- to go back to what we were saying earlier, like the idea is always community first, profit second. And we were willing to take that hit and say, hey, you know, we're going to spend more because we know that the only reason the other stuff is cheaper is because it's coming from a huge corporation that can afford to, you know, yeah. um, take that hit and, and really, you know, expand their their user base. So I didn't mean to cut you off, but good. But you did. <laughs> <laughs> So and I'll I mean, probably do it again. So now, <laughs> so now we have um, the lion's share of things to pick from, you know, and it's really up to us to kind of expand our reach and like really try to showcase everything that's really great happening in New York State, but also some of the great things that are happening outside of New York. So we've we've definitely made an effort to build relationships beyond and like go for smaller breweries that are based out of, you know, from New Jersey to Colorado. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like people that are kind of on the same mission that we, we, we began with. Now we highlight them all. So, um, and in terms of a process, I mean, you know, we, we, we find those feel good stories. We find those, um, those spaces where we like, we know that we respect their mission and, um, and that's what we showcase. And we make sure it's an authentic and, you know, legit mission and not something that's performative, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. Um, and we don't just do it with beer. I mean, now we do it with, you know, we have a collection of hot sauces that we do. Um, uh, we have um, 
we let small businesses come in and like, you know, use the space to give out samples and, you know, sell some of their merch or whatever it is. It could be anything from artwork to apparel to potato chips. Um, yeah. To potato chips, to anything, anything. To vegan, so, to you know. vegan coquito. I mean, it's, it's all over. We, we have all kinds of stuff and we really help people. Well, we really use our own space to help showcase um, everything that we, that we really have vested interest in or, or that we we support fully yes yeah like so it. that's definitely the community first coming out there yeah yeah i like it so every season you'll have something new yeah every month really mm. <laughs> um, yeah, you can't really every find month. you can't really from from week to week you can't really find the same beers at the bronx Beer hall we don't um we try not to uh to overorder on things as much as we try to make things, you know, very limited so that it gives us the ability to cycle through new things all of the time. So from the beer to the hot sauces to, to, to whatever it is that we're showcasing at that moment, like it's kind of like, hey, if you missed out, you better get here next week because it's going to be something new. You know what I mean? And, and it gives people kind of that FOMO, but also it gives people the sense of like, hey, we're really going to show up so we can support local, all local businesses. Yeah. What's FOMO? I'm going to be like 50 soon. FOMO. Fear of missing out. <laughs> fear of missing out. Yeah. We have a lot of that going on. I mean, if you, if you follow us online, we also, you know, we try to sh- highlight even the products that we have, you know, the every time, every day or every other day we post a beer, we post, you know, whatever's going on just to get people to know like, hey, something's happening. Something's new. Like, this is not going to be on our website. It's not going to be in the newsletter. Like, it might not be here tomorrow, you know? Yeah, um, but at least it's good since you're posting it. If someone did like or someone heard about it, they it's not really they're not completely missing out because they can yeah. go out there and seek it out themselves, which is good. Right. It's been Absolutely. it's been highlighted, and then now it's your turn to go figure it out. Right? And people do show up with their phone. They're like, "I want this one," and they like hold their phone up with a picture, you know. And like, and, sorry, that was last week. <laughs> How old is that picture? <laughs> but yeah, but That's we do cool that because it keeps it fresh. Yeah, <laughs> always. Always. What do you guys hope that people stumble away from uh, with leaving the beer hall? Stumble. Hey, <laughs> don't let people stumble. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, it's, uh, you know, I like people to leave there not just with a buzz, but with a buzz about the environment and the and the friends that they made. So I always think that um, and I tell people this uh, all the time. My favorite day to visit is like a Saturday. If you're at the beer hall Saturday when we open and you stay there until closing, you will meet someone from all over the Bronx, all over New York City and all over the, the United States and all over the world because it's heavily trafficked. You know, we're in the middle of a market that is the number two tourist destination in the Bronx. And people are there to talk and make friends, you know, and even, um, you know, obviously we had we had a little little break there during COVID where we were, you know, we had to keep everyone six feet apart and, um, you know, make sure there was social distancing. But even during social distancing, you'd see people six feet apart meet, making new friends and, and trying <laughs> to learn about the person next to them. Right. And that's that that camaraderie and that feeling of community. That's what I want people to leave with. And that positive experience in the Bronx. Yeah. That, that greater appreciation for the Bronx and the history of the borough as well. You know, like you're standing in an 80 plus year old retail market. Um, and we really wanted to highlight the experience of just hanging within that space, hanging out and being able to say like, Oh wow. Like, you know, you're watching people. Some businesses have been there for over 60 years. 
you know, and we're, we're one of the newer guys, you know, we're coming up on 10 years soon, but um, we really felt the need to highlight the novelty of the space and being and knowing that you're in the heart of the Bronx, in the heart of a functioning like market, like it really changes like how you think about the borough while you're there. And as we said earlier, community first, but I also want them to leave with a slightly lighter wallet. <laughs> That's true. I don't, back, but I don't want anyone back to hurt when they're leaving. So. <laughs> okay, enough about beer. Vamos a hablar de comida. Woohoo. All right. You all make it a point to highlight local and diverse cuisine. Can you tell me about the role food has played in your life? And what food do you remember from your childhood? Ooh. Uh, you know, I mean, food is a necessity. We all know that, right? Um, unlike beer, you don't need... I don't, don't, I don't agree with this. Yeah. Take you that need, back. Scale that back. You need, <laughs> you need food to survive. Um, and uh, Wait a second. Are you saying that you don't... Like, food is for you is to survive? Food is not something you love? Yeah, let's well, I'm saying <laughs> that you need food to survive. So in needing food to survive, you start identifying the things that you Do love. you eat to live? I oh. live to eat. <laughs> Both, right? You know, you know when you're getting hangry and you need something in your stomach, and then you know when you want to sit down and really appreciate something. You know, we're we're yeah. fast moving and we're always doing new things, always doing something different. So we don't always have the time to sit down and really appreciate what we're eating as much as we know, oh, we need fuel. And we need fuel right now, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, that's life. This is how it is. Uh, so, do I eat to live? Yes. And do I live to eat? Sure. <laughs> um, so, what was your favorite meal when yeah, you were a kid? My favorite meal as a kid? I mean, there's so many things that I think about. You know, we're, we're raised in the Bronx, but we're Puerto Rican. Um, what's, your, what's your favorite meal? Favorite? You know, it's I, hard to nail them down in these things, right? Yeah. <laughs> when I think about being young, I think my grandmother used to make this uh, carne molida that was like just the bomb. You know, I like I like Picadillo? rice. Uh, no, it was just uh. it went on top of her. It went on top of white rice. That's the way she would make it for us. And it'd be something that was uh. simple, that was easy. Um, and you know, I got the recipe from my cousin the other day. And I definitely I don't eat beef anymore, so I definitely couldn't do it the justice that. Uh, she did, but it was just red wine, um, a little bit of vinegar, some olives, and just raw, you know, just um, beef and white rice. And that was probably one of my favorite things growing up. Like, I can still taste it like, when I think about it. <laughs> but, um, but I haven't had it. She's been gone for years now, so I haven't had it in years. Um, can you replicate it? Do you think you can do it? I've tried. My cousin says that she has it locked down, but since I don't eat beef, I have to figure it out, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so favorite meal i mean for for me it's it's i am i'll say this my relationship with food is that i have always been a very very picky eater and so for me whenever i tell people what i eat or what i don't eat they immediately make comments about you know my like i'll give you an example i don't eat pork right mm-hmm. i just don't like it i've had it when i was younger I, it does, doesn't do anything for me. No, I mean, when I say that, they're like, oh, are you sure you're Puerto Rican? And you want to be like, yeah. F you. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but um, so, so my, and, and that's, that's, so that what's funny to me is that, you know, how people equate who you are to the dishes that you eat and that you like <laughs> and that you, you know, want, and that you cook and all of that. But my favorite 
food item of all time, like hands down, are tostones. I could eat tostones for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, snacks in between, um, you know, nonstop. If I'm anywhere and tostones are on the menu, then I'm going to order it. If I'm at the Chinese food spot, they're going to put them in a wok and I'm going to eat them. You know what I mean? Like whatever <laughs> it is. <laughs> and um, growing up, my favorite was always uh, tostones, steak, and white rice. And that's like what my, when my mom knew was making that, I was like ecstatic about it. When they were, when I saw the tray of tostones in the middle, I'd lick the ones that were mine first so that no one else could eat them before. If there was one on the plate and nobody had touched it, he would lick it. So that we knew like, oh, you, well, I guess none of us are eating that one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Although just to fight me, sometimes Paul will be like, well, I'm eating it anyway because I don't care. So, um, but that's me. That, that, that's my, uh, that's my, and it's definitive. Like, I know for a fact, if it was easy to put those tonnes on the menu at the beer hole, we'd do it. We don't have the space to be frying and doing all that stuff. To be mashing, um, frying, mashing and storing. And frying. Yeah. But yeah, so that, that, that's mine. That's so, too much know, work. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm the exact opposite of him. I'm, I'm absolutely in love with pork. And I'll eat pork in every shape, way, and form. Like chuletas are probably my favorite dish. But I was in Puerto Rico last weekend, and all I did was eat carne frita all weekend long. Every place I went, and like some, <laughs> of, it, some of it was really good, and others were like too dry, too hard, too burnt. Yeah. You know what I mean? But if um, I could eat pig, I'd eat pig all day long. It doesn't matter, you know. And like chuletas are my favorite with rice of gandules and tostones. That's like my mom's, like, and it has to be from my mom. Nobody else, like, that's that's my meal of choice. Nice, nice. So your prescription box, a taste of the Bronx. You have to say that again. It's subscription, uh, not oh, prescription. Oh, did I say prescription? Oh my god! We, we try things at the beer all the time. Injecting some beer, Bronx beer. (laughs) Tough day, I prescribe. (laughs) Your subscription box, A Taste of the Bronx, is so popular it keeps selling out. How can people access more local treats from the Bronx? That is a fantastic question. And it does keep selling out. And the reason it keeps selling out, for the record, not only because it's so popular, is that we have so... You know, we're, we're a small team and it's hard to fill hundreds of boxes every, um, every, every quarter. And given, um, and given that we work with small businesses, it's tough to, uh, to get all of that stuff from them. So we definitely recommend that if people are looking for new and exciting things to do in the Bronx, be it food-wise or anything else with Bronx small businesses, that they follow Taste of the Bronx on Instagram and on Facebook. We okay. A taste of the Bronx to us isn't just food, right? It's a sampling of everything the Bronx has to offer. And that's from, you know, from food to apparel to um, Paul banging cups by the microphone <laughs> and all those things. ¿Qué te pasa, Paul? ¿Qué te pasa? <laughs> a taste of the Bronx is more than just food. It's a sampling of everything the Bronx and their small businesses have to offer. So if you're looking for something, you know, to access local treats and new things in the Bronx, definitely follow us on social. Um, we try to feature at least one business a day. Um, and we really try to focus on businesses that no one's ever heard of. So something, you know, a small mom and pop um, that is, you know, down the street on East Tremont versus, you know, a very popular restaurant that's been featured on tourism magazines and all that other stuff. So um, that's one way. Another way is definitely to 
find a neighborhood and walk around. Like that is the best way to get to know your community. <laughs> but that's the whole point, right? right. You mm -hmm. might really love some other things. So um, that's my that's my recommendation. Yeah, I agree with that. Talk to shop owners, walk around neighborhoods, talk to the locals, you know. I mean, think you think about spend it. money. Yeah. <laughs> spend money, right? That's how you show love with things. Spend money. Don't be afraid. You know, I buy I try to buy something small every time all the time. And, you know, rather than go to the McDonald's and the Chipotle and the Starbucks, you know, go to the bodega and get your get your coffee. Go to the local Mexican restaurant and get, you know, real Mexican food, not Chipotle. Right. I'm going to say that again. Right. Not Chipotle. Chipotle. <laughs> depending on who you talk to. Chipotle. Right? <laughs> hey, I'm going to Chipotle. All right. Let's not tell Chipotle. <laughs> They can sponsor that podcast us. Is sponsored by Chipotle. Yeah. <laughs> so I've seen my mom build her business from the ground up. So I know how extremely difficult it is to build a multifaceted company. So I wanted to ask, since you guys have multiple businesses, how how is it juggling all of them? And how was it like when you thought of a new brand? Were you scared? Were you like, I have too much on my plate? I don't know if this is gonna go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Have you have you ever juggled anything? I I juggle a lot of projects <laughs> under as a student. But even juggling, just juggling the idea of it, right? It's difficult. Like picking up some eggs and yeah, yeah throwing them around. It's, it's difficult. <laughs> it requires a lot of focus. Um, and usually people make it look super easy. Right. But then you try to pick up, you know, whether they're eggs or whether they're they're anything and you start trying, you're like, oh, man, this is going to take a lot of practice and it's going to take a lot of like purpose, a lot of intent. So is it easy? No, it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. It's definitely not easy. It's not impossible. I wake up every day and say I have too much to do. My to do list, I scratch off three things and add five. And there are times where. Um, you kind of just want to say, I don't want to do anything anymore. And I want to lay down for a week. Right. Um, yep. and there are times that you get to do that, but not really because, because <laughs> you're running four or five businesses. Right. So, um, the decision to me is always, um, it seems really organic, right? Mainland media gave way to from the Bronx because one, because the name Mainland Media wasn't resonating with our core audience, because a lot of people weren't even aware that the Bronx is the only borough on the mainland. And when you hear mainland, you think like, oh, is this something like, you know, Hawaii, is it is it a Hawaiian business, right? Uh, because is it Chinese? And because and if you Google mainland, um, a lot of those businesses, that's where that's what their name, that's where they exist. So that's why from the, you know, we we branded and, and went with from the Bronx for our apparel. And then from the Bronx gave way to the beer hall because we were doing a pop-up shop there and it just made sense to open one there. And then, so it kind of like with the, from the Bronx and mainland media was us. And then with the beer hall, we took on like a partner to help get that going. Right. And then with taste of the Bronx, we took on a partner. So it's always like, how much time do we have? How are we going to get this done? Are there roles and responsibilities that can be delegated to other partners or other staff? Um, and, and then really go, always goes, like you said, community before profit. What's the mission here? Is this going to have a positive impact on our community? Um, and if the answer is yes, and it usually is, and then we'll say yes, and then I'll go, ah, oh, damn it. I guess we're starting another company. <laughs> right? Yeah, but I guess delegation is probably a pretty key aspect to it because yeah. otherwise it would be too difficult for just one or even two people. 
to to do a hundred one hundred percent. And the 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 issue is always twofold, right? Like when as business owners, for some reason, and Tanya, you can tell me if this happens to you or not. People assume that you own a business, and so you're like wealthy, right? They're like, oh, can you come and donate? three thousand dollars to this thing you're like whoa hey you know we got rents to pay and like employees to pay but people just assume because you started a business and somehow figured out how to fill out the llc paperwork that suddenly you're like rolling around in money and and swimming in coins like scrooge mcduck and that's not the case right more often than not people running businesses are running at a deficit or you know they're they're just kind of paying bills and floating until they get to that profitable stage. Um, and so that's another scary thing, right? You think about um, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to provide for myself? And also my staff and employees, we want to make sure that they're being treated fairly and getting paid a livable you know, wage and that they are as invested in this company as we are because without them, we're nothing because then you're like you said, Miguel, we're back to two people, you know, rubbing two nickels together, trying to make a thousand dollars. So, yeah, uh, that question is always something that comes to mind. And like we always think about what's the next step um, is something which businesses have become self-sustainable, which businesses require more hands-on day-to-day work, and which businesses may not, you know, be be businesses anymore because that's a possibility. And there's no, there's always this fear of like failing, right? Um, No matter what you do. And I never see it as failure. It's always growth. If you stop doing something that's not working for you and you end up doing something that does work for you, then you're growing. And I, yeah. Because probably you learned something from that thing that didn't work out that led to the thing that is now working out. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the always in the back of our minds, but always, okay, that didn't work the way we wanted to. So now we're going to try this. And, you know, and if something doesn't work at all, like, I'll be honest, after, you know, a few years at the beer hall, if it hadn't worked out, we would have closed the beer hall and we would have survived and lived on to talk about it and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it didn't. And it took off and it's been going to be a decade in February. But, Damn. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and, and even when you op- we opened the beer hall, someone's like, oh, so when do you open the next one? You're like, oh, relax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about I go to sleep for a couple hours first? Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and again, what is I think it goes back to your first question. What is success? Is it? having 12 locations that you have to manage and, you know, and make money from, or is it having one really, you know, sick ass, beautiful space that people love and talk about and visit and you still can provide for yourself and make a living from. So success is different for everyone. Um, And I think that as long as we are moving forward and doing things that are, that have the best interests of our community at heart, then we're going to keep building businesses and, you know, you feel good about it. And puking and puking yeah. about it, you said? Yeah. Feeling, feeling good. Feeling good about it. Is there something wrong? No, there's puking and feeling good. Oh, I can't believe we're doing this again. Maybe <laughs> so you're just drinking puking. too much beer if you're puking. <laughs> you're right. So you're as right. as Latino entrepreneurs, oh, have there have been any unique challenges or obstacles being Latino? Or have you found that that's helped you in any way? <laughs> 
or both? <laughs> both. I think it's both. I think it being, you know, Puerto Rican from the Bronx affects the way that we see the world and the way we move through the world, but also the world that the way the way the world sees us and um, treats us before we open our mouths. Right. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's. It takes and and also we started somewhat youngish, so I think that also had another another relatively yeah relatively you know I mean we started in two thousand six, so I was in my twenties at that point and um, being a the 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 youngest person, the only Puerto Rican person in the room, trying to say trying to say positive things about the Bronx and get people to you know take you seriously was really difficult back then, right? A lot of folks were just like, well, what are you even talking about? Who cares? No one cares, right? And to be at a point now where people do pay attention and care and take us seriously is it's a big deal. Um, I don't know. So my, my background is a little more uh, nuanced. Like I, w- I didn't just, I was, you know, we went to school here in public school up to like the sixth grade. I got a scholarship and went to a private school where the only people that looked like me worked, you know, in, in maintenance or in the kitchen or something like that. And so and those are and, and that alone is a unique and, and interesting um, dynamic. And it kind of made me think, like, why is this the case? Right. What's happening here? And why is it that when I went to this school that was in the Bronx in Riverdale at the time, they didn't say they were in the Bronx. They said they were in Riverdale. Right. That was interesting also, because. Why is it not it's not good enough to say you're from the Bronx. Right. And that's something that when you're young, you don't really pick up on. It's not until you get older and you're like, oh, wait a second. That's pretty, that's messed up. Right? Right. I don't understand that. You're in yeah, I mean, in Manhattan College, I went to Manhattan College for undergrad and it's the same exact thing. Right. For the first part, they still call themselves Manhattan College, even though they're in the Bronx now, um, <laughs> because yeah. they were founded in Manhattan. And if you look any of uh, any of their promotional material, they um, they really talk about how close the school is to Manhattan. They don't say anything about the Bronx at all. See how messed up that's messed up. See, yeah. <laughs> how does that make you feel? You're like, wait a second. You're this is the Bronx. This is the last yeah. stop on the train. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's right. Um, you're as far in the Bronx as you possibly could be. Right. You're close to the Yonkers <laughs> yeah. border. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like that's right. Um. So. So I think all of that lends uh, obviously influences the way we behave and the way we we manage the business and the way we run and and. You know, I also think about how um, my name is Anthony Ramirez II, right? Roman numeral two, like on my birth certificate, et cetera. And it's something that I always put on my resume when I first, you know, in high school, big, bold letters at the top of my resume, right? But then I met a guy in college um, who his name, well, I don't want to say his name, but basically he would, his middle name was could double for like an Anglo sort of last name. So he would remove his Spanish last name from his resume because he thought he would have a better chance getting a job if he would remove it. Even though he, you know, he was, he had the education and he had the experience that he could qualify for any job, but he thought by removing his last name, he didn't get a better shot at, at getting an interview. And thinking about those things, I was like, well, no, if I apply for a place that sees my last name and doesn't want me there, then that place can go to hell and I'm not going to Yeah, work. you don't want to work there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Of course. Exactly. Not. Exactly. So, you know, all of those things, I, I just makes me feel, and this is why our 
business is really rooted in Bronx pride, right? It's because a lot of it also, we did a lot of youth, youth development and we realized as we got older, how little things can affect a, uh, the development uh, and growth of a young person. And to see someone who looks like you, who grew up in your neighborhood doing strong, positive things is in its way super influential, whether you think about it or not. Right. So long story short, that was a long version of, of me saying it influences everything we do. We think about it constantly and we really make it a point to put it out there front and center in your face. And yeah. even you can't see me because this is a podcast, but even the way you dress, right, where they teach you growing up, oh, you have to put on a tie and you have to do this and you have to do that. As I got older, I realized, number one, I hate wearing ties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, I'm going to dress. I'm not going to be sloppy and messy, but I'm going to dress in a way that feels very true to me and true to who I am and true to my community. And if that means that, you know, I'm wearing a I'm not wearing a blazer, but I'm wearing a, you know, button now with a hat or I'm wearing a polo with you know baggy or jeans. Or like a guayabera or something. Too. Yeah. That's pretty professional. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Although now it's like now it's becoming political, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now people are really representing their roots politically based on what they wear. But it, you know, yeah. and, and I think, right, but it's, it's like you said, whatever it is that's true to you, you're going to learn eventually that that's what you should be doing and, and that's the way to, that's the way to go. Don't Don't cover and hide who you are just because you think it'll help you succeed in some way because it won't and you won't feel good about it yeah i mean i went i went to a high school bronx leadership academy and you were probably one of the only high schools at the time which is a public school not a charter school and you were we were forced to wear a uniform and that uniform required white shirts uh tie in a public school in a public school on 174th street in webster right and um you were required to wear a full uniform and in, in in that requirement there was like you know it didn't say anything about um how baggy your pants were the kind of the the, the length of them so i used to wear skater jeans that were like 32 inches wide right with the white Man, you're old. with a white shirt <laughs> and a tie you know and like that was the only way that i could differentiate myself but the fact that like they were like this is what professionalism is and they wanted to instill that to us from very young and being from a public school setting without really realizing you're the only school in in, you know, in the Bronx right now, that's public, that's wearing uniforms, yeah. made, made us think like that. That's what separated us from the masses, but it wasn't right. It was it's what you did with what you learned and where you thought you were going, and the idea of this small community that would then grow great, grow beyond just that space. It wasn't about me wearing a tie. It wasn't about me wearing the uniform every day. It wasn't about the shoes. You know, it was about who I was inside and like, that's what keeps us going, you know, really knowing and identifying and holding on to how we were raised and, and what our beliefs are. Like, that's what's going to, that's what's going to keep us moving. Okay. Did I answer that question? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it did. I was just making sure. Cause you know, it, it feels like we're, uh, we were going to, we were going to cry for a second there. Right. You feel like you're going to cry. I had, I had okay. it in me. I had it in me. <laughs> no, no, it's very deep if you really think about it. Yeah, All these being Latinx, looking like an Latinx. I, I, everybody well, tells me course. I don't look Puerto Rican. People ask me, "Are you from Argentina, Mexican, Ecuador?" And I'm like, Puerto Rican. They're like, "You don't look Puerto Rican. You don't sound Puerto Rican." You know this yeah, and that. What does that mean? And what does that mean, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just look at us. Like we all look extremely different from each mm-hmm. other. Like, you go to the island. You go to the island. I was just there, like I said, and there's people of all shades and all sizes and all. I know. And yeah. Everybody there is Puerto Rican. You know. Yeah. And that's what matters, right? And like, you know, it's this. You can't. You can't ever be uh, pigeonholed into being one thing based on appearance. And that's really what that's. But it still happens all the time. And like you said, I yeah. think that's another reason that we you know we kind of go out of our way to be, be embrace who we are as much as as I mean, just embrace who we are. Period. Because no matter what people, whatever you think you you're doing, whatever wh- however you think you are, someone's going to look at you and think something else, and they're going to say something ignorant that you're going to have to and you're going to have to educate them. Yeah, <laughs> that's why we're here. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, <laughs> We've talked about the Bronx a lot, and so it's. I think it's very clear to the audience that the Bronx holds a special place in a lot of people's hearts, um, and that the Bronx is special. But what do you guys think that uh, actually makes the Bronx so special? Wow, that's a great question. And I think my first answer is just the people. You know, it's it's the people that I love in the Bronx, and I... And I from borough to borough to borough, everyone has a different flavor and a different vibe. Um, and the Bronx itself is made up of so many, um, such a diverse population. And there's so many like unique neighborhoods. You can get different food in different neighborhoods. You get a different you know, feeling when you walk through different neighborhoods. But there is an overall Bronx vibe that actually was the name of our clothing line way, 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 way back when. But there is a Bronx <laughs> vibe that you get um, that you don't get anywhere, anywhere else. Uh, so yes, that is my answer. Do you think that with the Bronx being so special, do you think there is still a way that people could bring the spirit of the Bronx into their own communities if they maybe left the Bronx and went somewhere else? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think there are, it's interesting to see. So we ship product internationally at this point, and we know that there are pockets of Bronxites, you know, all throughout the world that. Are, you know, have found one another and celebrate, you know, their their upbringing and their childhood and kind of reminisce about it um, wherever they are. And uh, but I, I think a big um, component to the work we do and to kind of getting that community vibe is, is that that openness and that inclusiveness that everyone is, we're here to celebrate everyone's individuality and to celebrate whatever it is that they're doing, whatever it is they, they are putting out into the world. Um, and I think as more and more, I mean, the world is becoming more and more connected yeah. um, through social, through whatever, right? People are just aware of what's going on. And, and I mean, to do that, I, I, it's, it's almost, it's not unique. I think this part is not unique to the Bronx, the idea that everyone has something to bring to the table, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter where you're from. And I see that people are becoming more and more open-minded and more and more accepting and more and more and, and are just celebrating that diversity. So I like to see that happen forever and ever and ever. And I like to see more and more people, you know, kind of change the way they think and the way they treat others, um, you know, just by just by seeing that 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 seeing that change in the world. You hit that on the head. Beautiful. Before we let you go, we have some rapid fire questions for you. You it's like can... one word answers. Yeah. Yes. I got a. I got a hundred. I got a hundred. Rapid fire. They're rapid rapid fire questions, person, so you each can party. answer. 
Are you I ready? I have a party to set up for, so let's make this as fast as possible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Favorite restaurant in the Bronx? Ooh, not rapid fire. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we go based on cuisine, you know what I'm saying? Like you say, oh, this is my favorite Italian. This is my favorite Mexican. This is my favorite, you know what I mean? Um, I mean, you know what? Old staple, Willie's Steakhouse. Let's go there. Okay. Willie's Steakhouse is a good one. Um, uh, I, I agree. I, I love Willie's Steakhouse. I'm going to change cuisine. I'm going to say um, uh, Roberto's uh, on Arthur Avenue. What is Roberto's? Italian restaurant, fine dining, though. It's just like, you know, one of the first first Michelin rated restaurant in the Bronx. Yep. Oh, Oh, wow. That's cool. Roberto's. Mm -hmm. There you go. Okay. Second best NYC borough. Second best? (laughs) If you're not first, you're last. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Manhattan. Manhattan, yeah, that's probably the easiest answer. Manhattan is the answer. You know what? I'm, I'm going to change it up. I'm going to say Queens. From Wash Heights to the Lower East Side, Manhattan is it, man. Yeah. Okay. So Paul is, is Manhattan and Anthony is Queens. I'm going to say Queens because Queens is also really diverse and it has a lot of uh, interesting pockets of cuisine. Super difficult on. to navigate. Oh, it's incredibly so. difficult to <laughs> yeah. navigate. They'll have roads and treats and names that are all the same name, but you know what? That's part of the you'll get You'll get lost and still see a restaurant that will have good food. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Miguel. I, I agree. Okay. Favorite part of being business partners with your brother? Uh, seamless. Sometimes it's seamless decisions. We're thinking the same thing and we know we know how the other will think. So, um, you know, so usually people be like, oh, I have to defer to my partner. And it's just like, nope, you know what? I know the answer for this already. Let's keep it. Moving. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. That's what I was going to say. What a coincidence. Wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that's <not> my answer. <laughs> okay. The most annoying habit of your brother. Oof. <laughs> that's a rapid fire question. <laughs> I pay a therapist one eighty an hour to talk about this stuff. <laughs> so no uh, answer. I think, I think, um, it's one of those things where you can be hard on yourself, and somebody who knows you in and out, and they know all your quirks, they can be just as hard on you. So, um, you know, you have that, there's a, a, you expect a certain level of, um, perfection. And I think that's, you know, not annoying. It's just like, you know, it's external, right? So like you see yourself, you're already pressuring yourself and then there's somebody else who expects just as much from you. And you're just like, oh shit. All right. I guess we, this is the only, right? <laughs> so you both have one. to be the perfect brother to each other. No. No. There's no such thing as the perfect job. There's no such thing as perfect. There's no, you know, it's just like, it's a high standard. We all have high, we both mm, have high. Yeah. And you have okay. to live up to that standard. Like, even when you want to tweak it, you're like, no, I can't because not only am I the one going to judge myself, but you got somebody else going to judge. Right. Nope. Okay. My, mine is that you told him not to smack his hands near the microphone. And he's been doing it the entire <laughs> time. <laughs> his phone That's vibrated and all this. other. <laughs> he has definitely wrong. no podcast etiquette. We're from no, no podcast etiquette. Write that down. That's fine. Like we talk with our hands. We talk with that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Miguel's not doing it. That's an excuse. Yeah. Talk a little closer to the mic, Paul. I don't want to miss yeah. out on your fun. Okay. Favorite beer? Oh, I got one. Ever? I got one. Can I just go with it? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Keegan Ale's Mother's Milk. I love that beer. It's one Say of my that again. Ones. Keegan Ale's, and it's called Mother's Milk. It's a stout. Oh. Um, if I had to choose, you know, a uh, Bronx beer, it'd be one that we made. And um, the most recent one we made was the Porter Rock and Noggin Coquito Stout with um, Sun Hill Brewing crazy. Company. Crazy. It's delicious. <laughs> we made it with Gun Hill Brewing Company and uh, Fancy Coquito, which is an award-winning gold award, gold medal award-winning Coquito Master. Master. And that is, that's actually, you know what? Skip the other one. That's my number one favorite. Number two would be Keegan Ale's Mother's Milk. Yeah, I like stouts. I was going to say that's my favorite. You know, um, it's just, you hit, hit all the notes, right? It's it's uh, inherently Latino, like in nature, it complements it. It's a stout. It's big bodied, malty, 10% notes of, you know, cinnamon. Cinnamon, oh, wow. coconut, rum, uh, super cold, uh, delicious. You know, it's malty. Say the name again. It's Puerto Rock and Noggin, Coquito Stout. Puerto Rock and Noggin. Puerto Rock and Noggin. Yes. It's Puerto Rican eggnog. You know uh, what I mean? Yeah. Okay. How many times have you made sofrito dip since learning the recipe from Koki? <laughs> Once. <laughs> Once. I'm going to say twice. <laughs> Yay, you know what? That's twice. A- Speaking of pictures, that's a great picture. Us jumping up with the uh, co- uh, cookie between us. That's a great photo. Oh, that's true. That is a good picture. Yeah. I have, yeah. Um, I have a I have a sofrito dealer that I that I work with. So <laughs> I think I, I, it's rare that I make my own sofrito, sofrito dealer. <laughs> okay. She's old and she knows what she's doing. You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Best advice for young people interested in starting a business. Do it. Just do it. Just, That's my best advice. Just, just do it. Hey, Nike owns that. <laughs> oh my gosh. This guy's over here appropriating Nike. Okay, use your own words. <laughs> yeah, right. Go for it. Go so for get it. rid of the word just. Do it. <laughs> go for it no matter no matter how scared uh it, how scary it may seem or no matter how risky it may seem like it, the benefits are gonna far exceed that so just go for it and pay your taxes because let me tell you something <laughs> right? when we started we you know oh we started a business da, da, da. once you start an llc LL, like actual put the paperwork in the government is gonna come for their piece so make sure you know yeah. what you owe and sales tax and all that stuff um, we had to learn that one the hard way. <laughs> yeah, that usually happens. Uh, yeah. First, you open the company, then you learn about taxes. <laughs> but it should be the opposite: learn about taxes, then open the company. You and that what? gives, <laughs> with the, you know, because that would actually open your mind and say, "Do I really want to do this?" But you know, um, the more you know, the better prepared you are for what, uh, the unexpected. Absolutely, one hundred percent. But a lot of it, you know what I mean. Like you, you're going to learn as you go, so you might as well just go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on this episode of More Than Rice and Beans, and special thanks to our guests this week, Anthony and Paul Ramirez. We can't wait to stop by the beer hall and have a drink together. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and check out more ways to support our show by following the links in the show notes. And if you would like to learn how to make sofrito dip and make it a lot more than the Ramirez brothers and other <laughs> delicious Puerto Rican dishes, head over to coquithechef.com to browse classes, ingredients, recipes, and more. 
We'll see you here next time on More Than Rice and Beans.